we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked. No matter what your body size or your life circumstances, this is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond. Hello and welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Laura Redmond, and I'm so glad to be here today to talk about one of those very upsetting and destructive self-sabotaging behaviors. It is called codependency, and um, frankly, I'm someone who considers myself very aware and awake and embodied, which is what this whole program is about, is becoming more embodied, both from a mental and a physical space, and then a spiritual place. And I only learned about the real meaning of codependency about five years ago, and it knocked me off my socks because... It was a word that was never used in all of the ways that I had tried to help myself and all the ways that I had had great counseling. It was not until Brian Cox, my beloved trauma therapist, who brought up codependency to me five years ago. So I'm a recovering codependent. I'll start right there. Um, I work on it every single day. And I've been following this woman who's my guest today because she has great materials on the web and her videos have helped me in my recovery. She works a lot with codependency, and I'm going to introduce her formally. Lisa Romano specializes in helping others heal from codependency, narcissistic abuse, emotional neglect, and psychological invisibility. She believes that all dysfunctional thinking is a product of childhood brainwashing and that programming can be changed through a commitment to self-awareness. Lisa is a best-selling author and a spiritual healer. Her mission in life is to help others transcend the wounds of the past so that they may learn to love self and to ultimately live life more spiritually whole. On Lisa's website, she says codependency is a way of relating to others that is rooted in non-self-identity. Codependents seek validation outside of themselves in all that they do, unconscious that they are repeating the cycles of childhood. Because they were taught that their emotions are insignificant, codependents do not know how to check in with their own emotions for guidance. Sadly, codependents attract people who demand to be validated in the relationship and thus continue the abuse of invisibility. Welcome, Lisa Romano, to Feel Good Naked Radio. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. This is awesome. It's awesome to speak to you because your videos have been one of those places I went the last five years to get grounding, to try to understand this whole notion of codependency, which, again, I was so overwhelmed to realize that this was the one thread, the one 
key, the portal to my healing, like nothing had ever been before. So you must hear this a lot from your fan base and all the people that look to you to help them with this issue we call codependency. Yeah, you actually just gave me the goosebumps because that is that was exactly my experience. Um, I had lived three and a half decades on this planet and had suffered from anxiety and depression and all sorts of bizarre coping skills. And I was so unhappy throughout my entire life, really. And I thought that people pleasing and not rocking the boat and anticipating the needs of others and making myself small and not asking for what I wanted and not really telling people what I needed. I thought that was the way. And I ended up feeling burnt out, miserable, angry, and everybody in my life told me that I was crazy, that I was selfish, that I was overreacting. And so on the urging of my ex-husband, who insisted that I was crazy, I went to see a therapist. And it was my fourth or fifth and sat down in his office and came out of his mouth was, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you're not crazy. But the bad news is you're codependent. And, you know, immediately I thought that can't be because I don't drink and my husband doesn't drink. And, you know, I just I always associated the word codependency, uh, you know, with co-alcoholism. And so I trusted him because I had nowhere else to go and began to study up on it. And like you, I was blown away because I was able to take the lessons of living with an alcoholic and those dynamics, the enabling, the enmeshment, the lack of self, the feeling of invisibility for the spouse of an alcoholic or an addict. And I said, this is my life. This is my mother's life. This was my grandmother's life. This is my sister's life. This is my brother's life. This is the life of my friends. And I was just blown away, like you said, about how codependency fit. And it really was, like you said, the portal to my healing. It just made everything make sense. Yeah, yeah. And I see it now in my consciousness in the most empowering ways that, again, you say that for those of you out there listening who have always thought codependency, it must be an alcoholic issue. It is beyond that. It is so many things. And I'm going to read this because this is helpful. It, codependency underlies all addictions. The core symptom of dependency manifests as reliance on a person, substance, or process such as gambling or sex addiction. Instead of having a healthy relationship with yourself, you make something or someone else more important. Over time, your thoughts, feelings, and actions revolve around that other person, activity, or substance, and you increasingly abandon your relationship with yourself. Codependents struggle with being who they think others want them to be. Through the healing of codependency, a human being finds the opportunity to become self-actualized in the purest form. This journey towards self-realization is as much neurological as it is spiritual and as much physical 
as it is metaphysical. And I took that off your website because that is so rich. And that takes us into the world with this awareness and it applies to everything. You start to really tune in to how your brain has been programmed in a codependent format and that that does not serve you or anyone else. So please, Lisa, talk to us about when you started to understand this about yourself, what was the first step you took? You know, the first thing I did was I had to really understand what it meant to be codependent in the way that I was receiving the information. So my first book was Codependent No More by Melody Beatty. And I had to make sense of that material as it applied to my life. And so I was very logical about what I was reading. And then what I began to do was I began to compare my life as a child to the lives of healthy children. And so how does a non-codependent grow up in this world? Well, non-codependent children feel seen. I never felt seen. Non-codependent children who have a zest for life, who go out for their dreams, who have a connection to self, felt visible. Well, I felt invisible. Healthy children who have a healthy sense of self have a healthy sense of self because mother and father have made them feel like who they are and what they feel is important. Well, I never had that. So I began to side by side do an analysis of what healthy children children experience and healthy adults, what their backgrounds were like in comparison to my own. And I began to see all the holes in my life. And what the, I ended up having a lot of empathy for the little girl that I was, you know, who walked around feeling like she was just not good enough. And so the first thing that I began to do was compare my life to the lives of healthy children and healthy adults. And I began to see all these holes. And then I began to figure out what it is I needed and what it is I missed. And I began to give that to myself, which is a very difficult thing to do. But I began to study child psychology, Erickson's stages of emotional development. Um, I really, really immersed myself in child development. And I began to figure out all different types of ways in which I could really reparent myself and mother myself. And what I began to realize was, you know, backtracking, I could remember all the times my teachers would tell my mother, she has no self-control. I was bullied a lot in school and I was suicidal when I was 12. Um, It was just, it was just a very painful experience. And as I was doing this work, I realized I never had a self, you know, so I had abandoned myself a long time ago. And I began to realize that that was because my mother and father, because of their issues, they were also codependent and they were adult children of alcoholics. They had no connection to their selves. So they had very little appreciation or they actually had no appreciation for what it meant to attune themselves to their children. And when parents aren't attuning themselves to the needs of their children, then children are attuning themselves to their parents. So if our parents are anxious, if our parents are dysfunctional, 
We survive by attuning ourselves to them. We have to get with the program because if we don't, we're not going to survive. We've got to learn how to disconnect from self to make sure we don't piss mommy off. We've got to learn how to shut up so that daddy is not made to feel angry. We have to disconnect from self as a way to survive. Now, the problem is, the problem is, children assume everything's their fault. So if mommy doesn't love me, it's my fault. It's because I have green eyes or it's because I don't like Brussels sprouts. It's our reasoning is in um, alignment with our level of awareness and cognitive ability. So a four-year-old might think mommy is mad at me and can't hug me because I wet the bed. Um, Or, you know, if I'm seven or eight, it might be for another reason. And so throughout our lives, the problem is this sets us up to feel like we need other people's validation because we never received it. And when we don't get it, it's our fault. So we're consistently abandoning the self for an opportunity to connect to others. Although we don't know, we don't understand that we are enough and that the only way to feel whole is to connect to the self and to understand why we feel this way. And to confront it and stay in a high state of awareness like you were just talking about. So now contrast that with that healthy child and and tell us how that child is brought through the process of wetting the bed or daddy's upset or I hate Brussels sprouts. What does the healthy child get in those examples? Well, unhealthy parents are unaware that they're relating to their child through ego. So if mommy makes Brussels sprouts and little Johnny doesn't like them, mommy is personally offended. So a child that says, mommy, I don't like Brussels sprouts, she's able to attune herself right where she is to her child and she understands his level of emotional development. He's very ego-centered and all children are and they're supposed to be. That's how they gain autonomy. So we're not, we're not, we don't feel rejected as mothers when our children reject our Brussels sprouts. What we do instead is say, tell me why you don't like them. And then Johnny will tell us why he doesn't like them. And we explain to Johnny that it's okay if he doesn't like them. Maybe we can make another vegetable that he does like, but we'd like him to at least try it. And if he's willing to try it and he still doesn't like it, he doesn't have to eat those Brussels sprouts. Maybe tomorrow we can make broccoli. So it's an appreciation of the child's experience. So many of us grew up having an experience that upset our parents. And we were taught in big ways and in small ways that our experience was invalid. It was unworthy. And so healthy parents appreciate the experience of their child. So if a child wets the bed at four and she's upset, we don't scream, we don't yell. We understand that she's embarrassed. We explain to her that it's okay that children sometimes do this at four. We love them anyway. And if they want, they can help us change the bed. We hug them because they're upset. We do not shame them. We minimize it. We understand that the child is anxious and we do what we can to reduce their anxiety, not enhance it. But an immature parent who, you know, not even, you know, just it's tough to wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning because a child went to bed again. It's really tough. But an enlightened parent understands that the agenda is helping this child 
not get stuck in this experience. The goal is to help our child because that's the goal. We decided to bring these children into the world. Now it's up to us to make sure that they feel loved and that they feel seen and they feel valid. And especially when they're having a tough moment. We try not to make what's happening in their life, which is difficult, about us. And instead, we keep the focus on the child and we encourage them through that. Does that make sense? Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so helpful. And, and you know, I see this often in the world of parenting today. Um, I believe you're saying something that's so invaluable for anyone out there who's a parent. But I also want to say that there is a parenting style today that I note that is going very much in the extreme opposite direction, which um, would require us getting into a different topic known as narcissism, which I'd love to do with you a different show. But I do believe that there has got to be a self-worth empowerment that comes from parent to child, but also I want that child to learn that they too have to become more conscious and aware of what they're doing just so that they don't become incredibly um, built up for the things that they're not really doing. You know, there's this feeling now in the in the culture psychologically that we're always saying to our child how great they are, how wonderful they are, how perfect they are, what a great achievement that was. And in fact, it's not necessarily matching the task. So can you just address not going extreme on either side and finding the happy medium that is the empowered child and the non-egoic parent? I think that lots of us who grew up invisible, the backlash is we overdid it when it came to our own children, and we mm-hmm. overindulged. We gave them everything that we didn't have. We yeah. told them 20 times a day how beautiful they were, how great they were at baseball, even though they sucked. You yeah. know, we, you know, we, we made sure that the, the, the coach made sure that our son played center field, even though he didn't have the skills for center field. Exactly. You know, we've done that and we've created a group of kids who really are having a very difficult time. You know, they, they go out into the workforce and they're like, they say to the boss, what do you mean? I'm not special. The, and the boss is like, you have to prove yourself, kid. Yeah. And so absolutely. And it's not their fault. And so I think parenting has to be. I think we have to be a lot more aware when we're raising children. I think that society as a whole has got to realize how incredibly difficult it is to be a parent and what a huge responsibility it is to be a parent. We have to really go into it understanding that we are creating, literally creating our future by the way we treat our children. And if we want to do this correctly, then we ourselves have to be in check We've got to be responsible. We have to be mature. We have to be hold ourselves accountable. Because if you're not holding yourself accountable, you can't teach your child to hold themselves accountable. Yeah. So it's really important that we balance discipline and boundaries um, age appropriately. And so a three-year-old that bites his brother, you don't bite the three-year-old because he bit his brother. You explain to the the three-year-old that is unacceptable, he hurt his brother, and if he's angry, he is to come and tell you. And because he bit his brother, he can't watch that cartoon. So it's age appropriate. Because this is a cause and effect universe. You run a red light and a cop is sitting in the the bushes somewhere, you're going to get a ticket. You mouth off, he might put you in jail. 
This is a cause and effect universe. So the earlier we teach our children age appropriately that about behavior and about actions and about words, the earlier we help them, we hold them accountable, the better. But again, it comes back to raising the awareness of the people who are actually having children and and teaching them and having them understand that praising a child and telling him he's a good he's good at soccer or she's good at soccer when that's not her skill doesn't help her because she knows she's not good at soccer. Yeah, we're exactly. Breeding, we're breeding entitlement. Yeah. Yeah, so there there is great language to be given at a different um, for a different show with you. I hope about this because there's great information you hold about it. Going back to codependency, I want to speak about what you said a moment ago. Several things that were so important as takeaways for anyone listening. You spoke about being told you're crazy by partner, and I'm I'm speaking obviously about codependency in adult relationships, and you're with this person and it's a codependent relationship, you're told you're crazy. Um, You said that that was a real trigger for you. And when you got into your own healing, you realized that that was the pathway to understanding codependency. I want to say that that is exactly what happened to me as well. And it is so um, disembodying to be told that when you're actually really tuned in to something so important that is the gate to freedom. It is the gate to self-love. You are acting perhaps crazy because you are being made to feel crazy. You are also acting crazy because I think it's the soul's way of fighting for the freedom that is deserved by every human being. So I want you to talk about that part of the system of being in the wrong life with the wrong person, totally codependent, and being told, you're crazy. So codependents feel invisible to the self because they have never felt seen by mother and father. So unconsciously, they're seeking that sense of visibility through relationships, future relationships. They are unaware they're attracting similar energy beings, in my opinion, to mother and father. So they're attracting people who are more on the narcissistic spectrum. So when we have to understand that in codependent dynamics, there's a need to control. So when codependents are getting angry and they're finding their voice, it upsets the apple cart. And we're begging to feel visible by our partner, but that's exactly what they don't want. You are in touch with what you want. You are in touch with what you feel. But they don't want you in touch with that. Because if you get in touch with that, that is your gateway to freedom. And you might not want them. And Mm -hmm. so part of what they do is they have to undermine your ability to connect to self. And so what they do is they'll say, you're overreacting. You're crazy. And if we're very stuck, if we're very stuck, and I was stuck for years, over a decade, If we're very stuck and very wounded, what we'll do is we will tone ourselves down because we're afraid they're right. Mm -hmm. And we will not not be able to hold on to ourselves and walk through that door. And like you said, liberation comes from walking through that door because once you begin to allow the pieces of your puzzle to fall into place, holy crap, I'm codependent. I attracted somebody who doesn't want to see me. I have attracted somebody 
whose agenda it is to get me to see them and only them. There are two people in this dynamic. Both people care about the one person. This is their agenda. So anytime I open my mouth, it is going to threaten their agenda. What other way to disconnect me from my power but to invalidate it? Oh, man, that's just so clear. That's so clear. It's it's so helpful when something is that clear. Um, you know, one thing that I was thinking about when you were saying that is when you are in that codependent cycle uh, with a relationship, a marriage, or, you, you know, the most important person that you're sharing daily life with, it's so wild how as the codependent, you start to feel and think responsible for the other person's feelings, thoughts, actions, choices, wants, needs, well-being, um, and and you actually feel anxiety and worry and guilt and all sorts of stress when they have a problem. And that is just so interesting to then flash back to what you were saying about the little person, the little girl, the little child who's always in reactivity to how mommy or daddy are going to respond to them. And mommy and daddy are coming from an egoic, perhaps alcoholic or drug addicted state. How in the world does that little person learn safety in relationship without trying to service the other person. And so that servicing is what you were describing in that dynamic with the narcissist and the codependent. Perfect cocktail. And it's also, it's a mirroring. So remember what I said earlier is that in dysfunctional homes, the children are dysfunctionally, they have to, to survive, they have to attune themselves to mother and father. So they have to anticipate, they have to be hypervigilant. What is mommy thinking? Where is she right now? How is she feeling? What did she say? How can I get her to love me, to see me? So we have this loss of sense of, this sense, sense of self that's lost because we're in service to our parents in the hope that they will see us and connect to us because that's where we're born. Human, to connect to other people as a human being is natural, it's innate. And so to, ha- to be born and to have that frustrated by our own parents is so unnatural. And we seek this bonding throughout our life, lifetimes. And unfortunately, as adult codependents, we don't realize we're doing the same thing we did when we were four. What does he need? What does he think? Oh, he's upset? Maybe I can fix it. Mm. Oh, yes, I know. And it's so, um, I have such empathy and compassion for both of us right now and anyone listening who might be in the throes of this and just now waking up to the idea that, oh my gosh, this might be my life. This could be what I'm going through right now. You said something earlier, a great takeaway about being the parent to the child within you. And this goes along with you completing you, you making what you need possible. And this is one of the great first steps for all of us coming out of this codependent pattern is to really understand what you weren't given, which preceded where you are now as that little person, and now give it to yourself. Be the parent to yourself. Be the person that can say, It's okay that you feel this. It is okay that you don't like Brussels sprouts. 
you know, like metaphorically, like give yourself that. Show up as the parent to the self, even if you're an adult. So Lisa, please talk a little bit more about that for the takeaway for the listeners, how to do that well. So I think it's really interesting, you know, and and I didn't have a mother parent me well. So when I was learning to parent myself, I was at a loss. I had to learn how to parent myself correctly. And what I did was I began, like I said earlier, began to understand this sense of feeling seen and valid, excuse me, and being treated with empathy, which is huge. Children need to be treated with empathy by their parents. And that's something that I didn't experience, nor did my brother and sister. The house was void of empathy for the children in the home. It just was. And so I didn't have empathy for the self. I couldn't see the self. So as I was healing, I knew that I had to reparent myself. And one of the tools that I came up with, I ended up coining it. I call it the one, two, three process. And I'd love to share it with you. Please. Because it's not just you tell someone, oh, you have to love yourself. Well, I've never been loved. I have no framework for how to love myself. What do I do now? It sounds good. Love yourself. But what does that mean? Because love is an action. And so I always say, you know, the brain can only play with the tools that are in the shed. So if love is not part of my data or my operating system, you know, I have to figure that out and I have to create a new operating system. And so I knew that it was really important for children to feel seen. So I knew I had to see myself. So what I did was I came up with what I call the one, two, three process. And so what it essentially means is anytime, anywhere, any, at any moment, in any moment in time, I have to accept how I feel wherever I am. I don't care if those feelings are make sense. They don't make sense. I have to start somewhere because that's what should have happened when I was a newborn. My parents should have been attuning themselves to me. And so the first thing I do, number one, is accept how you feel, whatever you feel. Just acknowledge it and accept it. I'm jealous right now. I can accept that I feel jealous. No judgment. I accept that in this moment in time, I can feel jealousy surging within me. The second step is connect to it in your body. Because what we don't acknowledge enough in our society is that every thought we think creates a chemical response in the body. So every thought creates a sensation in the body. And so if I feel jealous, my body is sending me a signal. It could be my ears are hot. It could be I feel like my chest is being compressed. My heart could be racing. Some, somehow, some way, my body is telling me I'm jealous. So number two, connect to where you feel that. Feel that in your body. The third step is decide how you want to feel because most codependents are stuck in how they feel. They don't know what to do about it. They're worried about what the next person wants to do or what the other person wants to do, and they're in constant reactivity mode. And so we have to learn to take control back. We have to learn to make our own decisions and our own actions. So the third step is decide. Decide what to do about how I feel. But you have to run that through three filters. What can't I control about this situation? What can I control about this situation? And ultimately, how do I want to feel in everyday life? And make and your decision through those filters. 
And so, oh, there's so much rich there in that one, two, three, so much richness, so much nectar. All right, so let's go back to number three first. Let's, that's the serenity prayer. You know, what can you control? What can't you control? What's yours? What's not yours? Choose from the place that's yours. So when you decide what it is you want to feel, let's stay with the jealousy example. I want to feel loving towards that person. I don't want to feel jealous. So you have to go back to what what can't I control? So I can't control that for whatever reason, jealousy showed up in me. That that must mean something, and I'm just going to honor that. It could be that that young girl... She, you know, she has a beautiful boyfriend and um, I used to feel jealous when I was a little girl because the girls who had boyfriends in my, in, in my neighborhood used to make fun of me because I didn't. So what's showing up today is a mirror to something that's happened in the past. Otherwise, it wouldn't show up. It wouldn't bother you. It's there. So I can't control that this showed up for me. Viscerally, I'm having this bodily reaction and this emotional reaction to this situation. And that's okay. Everything's acceptance. What can I control? I can control whether or not I act out. I can control whether or not I give her an attitude. I can control that. I can control whether I judge myself or I berate myself, you know, or I go down the rabbit hole with negative self-talk. I have control over that. How do I want to feel about this situation? Um, I want to be an act as an enlightened human being. And so I'd really like to transcend this feeling of jealousy and just love this person instead. So what decision am I going to make that's going to net me that result? I'm going to go over there and tell her that I love her shoes. (laughs) I'm going to go over there and tell her that I love the color of her hair. I'm going to go over there and tell her that I'm so glad she's in my life. Yeah. Uh. Perfect. So now back to two. That's the whole point of this show is the embodiment of everything. We do bring everything into our body. And there is this incredible vessel that we call our bodies that's taking in every aspect of what we're feeling. And so how do you personally honor step two in your process? Well, I have trained myself to accept how I feel, even if it's a ridiculous thought or even if it's a ridiculous feeling, you know, I, I've learned to just accept everything that I feel. Um, and I don't judge myself. So I deliberately don't judge myself. Um, I remind myself that I am an extension of God, that I am equal to every star, every, every moon, every planet, the same creator that created the stars and the moon and the sun and the butterflies and the peacocks created me. And that keeps me humble. And I deliberately practice consciously. When I'm in a group of people, I practice telling myself they are equal to me. These are my brothers and my sisters. The only difference is what level of awareness or self, what level of self-awareness are we at? That is the only difference. If we were all evolved, it would be easy. It would be easy. We'd all want to love each other. But I've learned to appreciate that there are some people who are what I call below the veil, and that's okay. They're on their path. And there are people who are above the veil, and that's awesome. And it's just a matter of degree. And so I honor my body first by honoring whatever it is I feel, because I realize that the minute I 
go to that conscious place where I am not allowing myself to feel what I feel. I'm abandoning the self. Yeah. So and I the, just refuse to do that anymore. And the beauty of recovery, Lisa, I believe, is that you know when you're abandoning yourself and that's what you can lose sight of when you're in the depths of codependency. You don't even know. So there's great value in knowing that you're abandoning yourself in that second and pulling yourself back into the present moment and taking her back. Don't let her go to the abandonment of self, which is so dangerous. Yeah, and I also practice seeing myself as my inner child. It's She is real to me. My inner child, it's not a figment of my imagination. She's real. Um, and I imagine that my, I'm processing life through this inner child's experience. And it's up to me to maintain a connection to higher self or my divine mother self and maintain that connection so strongly that I'm able to soothe the inner child in me who has been abandoned in the past and from and time to time that will be triggered. So I have this connection to higher self or divine higher self or divine mother self that I nurture and I allow myself to see, see the inner child in me and I also integrate higher self. And then I also understand that there's this real-time physical human being aspect of me that is experiencing time and space. So... I believe we're always tra- time traveling, you know, in our mind. You know, you can recall something that happened to you when you were three and your amygdala will respond with the same feelings um, today, in, you know, today, the Thursday, that you would have felt or you did feel back when you were three years old. So our bodies and our minds are always time traveling. When we project out into the future, we're time traveling. So I've learned to just appreciate that I am higher self, that I am my inner child, and I'm also my very real physical self. And so it's, a, it's an integration that has taken me a while to get here, but, you know, that is the way I honor every aspect of me. Yeah, every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you do, Lisa, if someone in your life is still very present in your life and they were the most dangerous person in your codependency. So let's use the mother example. Let's say someone's mother was the worst part of that person's codependency that they finally got a hold of and now they're saving themselves, but their mother is still in their life. They still deal with her often and she still has that mother power, as we might call it. What's your advice to that codependent in recovery who's now still interfacing with the, quote, abuser of that process? And I'm going to say that word. I know it's a strong word. Um, but honestly, as a recovering codependent, the way I got to this place of understanding it, it is very abusive when you're in it. So let's just say that that mother figure is the key abuser in that process with that person, but they're still dealing with her all the time. What do you do? I think you have to understand the necessity of a tremendous mind shift. So what I mean by that is what shifted in me when I was, because my mother was my first bully. And what I had to do was I had to resonate with a place and actually with a perception that allowed me to understand that I was not her child anymore, that I was a excuse me, but I was a grown-ass woman 
<laughs> that, I had, that I had a right to my perceptions. I had a right to my experience. And I had to grow up and look at her as another woman. Because as long as I saw her as my mother, um, I was in trouble. Because I still felt like the inner child. And the inner child feels powerless. And so I had to shift my perception of myself and say to myself, when I'm around my mother, I will no longer abandon my inner child. So I go back to this divine mother self aspect. You know, and if you're a man, it could be the divine male energy within you um, and connecting to that aspect of you when dealing with your father or your mother. I had to understand that I had to see myself differently And when I was around my mother, I understood that there was an inner child in me that I had to protect, that my higher self had to protect, that I had to show up for her. And as long as I saw, came at my mother in the vibration of she's my mom, then these dynamics were going to play out. And so when I made that tremendous mind shift, things changed. I remember um, a, a pivotal moment in my life with my mother It was my 36th birthday, and I was going through a separation with my ex-husband, and she invited him over for dinner for my birthday. Mm. And we had pizza on paper plates, I kid you not, and I, I made the mistake of expressing a feeling. I said, boy, am I tired. And she looked at me, and she said, I don't know, you know, what the hell you're so tired about. You didn't lift a finger the whole time you were here. You know, those passive, aggressive, snide Mm. remarks, you know, and I went back to my one, two, three process and said, how do I feel? And the minute I asked myself what I felt, I began to cry. And that was valid. And I didn't try to push it away. I just said, wow, that hurt. And I pushed myself away from the table. And I went in the back room and I called my kids in one at a time. And I was crying. And my daughter said, why are you crying? I said, because grandma's mean to me. And I said, and we're going home. So my mother came to the back room and she had a dish towel over her shoulder. And she said, where are you going? I said, I'm leaving. And she said, why? And I pointed my finger in the face and I said, I'm not 12 anymore. You don't get to talk to me like that anymore. And if if I ever needed a mother, it was now. I said, now move out of the way because I'm taking my kids and we're going home. So in that moment, I stood up to her as an adult that expected her to treat me with the same respect she would give anyone else. Because she spoke to me in a way she never spoke to anybody else. That was the dynamic between she and I. And the only way that I could change it is if I changed. So I showed up for myself by accepting how I felt and deciding what I can control and I can't control and how I wanted to feel. And I wanted to feel protected and I wanted to feel safe and I wanted to feel peaceful. And if that meant that woman couldn't be in my life after that day, then I was willing to accept that. So we didn't talk for about a year and she wrote me a letter and said I was a liar. I expected that and I was dramatic and I, and I was like, that's okay because I'm peaceful. But I can tell you that moment changed everything. Yeah. She never spoke to me like that again. Yay. Yeah. And that really is going back to the word choice that you picked, which was bully. Standing up to that bully, standing up to that person where you became invisible to yourself is so freeing and it's scary and your voice will shake and you'll cry, but you are no longer invisible to yourself. You know, I think what I've learned professionally and personally is that I I think a lot of us think we're not supposed to be afraid. 
And I think a lot of us think it's supposed to be easy. And a lot of us think we shouldn't feel anxious and we shouldn't feel sad and we shouldn't feel all those feelings. But that's just not the case. You know, when we're talking about attachment trauma, you know, I never felt um, attached to my mother in a healthy way. And so there was an, an attachment trauma. And so when you go up against that person that you were supposed to feel bonded to, you are facing that attachment trauma, that abandonment trauma in the face. And you are saying, I may never have it. And that terrifies, terrifies me. And so you will be terrified when you say to your husband who is a narcissist or an abuser, I'm done. You're going to be terrified because that relationship represents the relationships of the past or perhaps the, the abandonment tra- trauma or the attachment trauma that you experienced when you were six or three or two or a year old or at birth. And so you are going to be afraid, but you have to do it anyway, because as you walk through that door, you're no longer invisible to the self. You're finding yourself. You're finding esteem for the self. And that is the beginning of the journey. You do need life skills after that, because it's not about, that's the mistake I made. When I got divorced, I thought, oh, my marriage was codependent. I'm good now. I'm golden. No, 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 no. Two narcissists after that each one at worst than the first, I realized I was the common denominator. I was codependent. It was me. Yeah. So it's not just about ending a dysfunctional marriage. It's about addressing the subconscious programming. It's about identifying the patterns. It's about staying conscious and milking self-awareness and self-understanding that will give way to self-love. It's a commitment. It's It's a game changer and a life changer. You must yeah. become first in your life. Yep. yep. It, it is such a wonderful game changer. Um, tell me something. How, if someone's out there listening and they don't really, they haven't yet come to the awareness of being codependent, what would be clues that you might be codependent? Are you unhappy? Do you feel unfulfilled? Do you worry more about other people? And what they think about you, then you worry about yourself. Do you find yourself ruminating about what you think they're doing or what you think they're saying? Do you find yourself obsessing about why they said that? Why they didn't call you? Why they don't pay attention to you? Do you find yourself lost in a world feeling abandoned and wondering why nobody validates you? Do you do things thinking that if you do X, Y, and Z, then they'll see you? Do you do things seeking a pat on the back? Are you angry when people don't read your mind? These are all the things to ask yourself and to consider. Yeah, yeah. And and let's say someone's trying to understand the parallel or connection to conditional love, because we hear we hear that phrase conditional love. Um, maybe talk a little bit for us about what conditional love means and how that may or may not connect to codependency. Well, conditional we are supposed to experience unconditional love. So that means when I'm four and I wet the bed, I know that my mother loves me anyway. That means that. You know, when I'm screaming in the middle of Toys R Us, 
My mother might not be happy with my behavior, but she still loves me. It means that even if I spilled the milk as mommy was setting the table and I ruined the tablecloth, that my mother is still going to feed me. She's not going to humiliate me. So even though I have these quote unquote flaws that are very natural, even though a very human, I'm human and I'm not happy all the time and I'm, I don't behave all the time, there is still this sense, this connection to that person that created me loves me. So now I can be vulnerable. I can talk about my fears. Mm. I can talk about my flaws. I can be transparent. And if you abandon me, that's your issue. That's not me. I was just, I'm just telling you who I really am. Um, and so we're supposed to feel that in childhood. Now, children who are punished for spilling milk, who are humiliated because they wet the bed, that's conditional love. Children who only receive love when they're being quiet or when they're people-pleasing or when they're acting like they have no needs, that's conditional. That's te- that teaches a child, well, if I get good grades, mommy will speak kindly of me. That's conditional love. Unconditional love is I'm going to do my best because that makes me feel good about me. But even if I don't get that scholarship, I know my mom's going to be in my corner. That's unconditional love. Fast forward, if you're a child that experienced conditional love, as I am, we attract partners who withhold their approval. Hmm. We attract people who withdraw their love. So if we're... We want to know why he didn't come home at five o'clock like he said he was going to. We get the silent treatment. That's conditional love. Mm-hmm. There are conditions. So if you behave like a good little girl or a good little boy, I will approve of you. The minute you give me a hard time, I'm withdrawing my love. I'm abandoning you. I'll wait till our friends are around and I'll make fun of you. I'll tell you I'm going to show up, but I won't. Mm. tell you I love you but I won't act like it oh that's a big one that's a big one tell you I love you but not act Mm -hmm. like I love you and not really come from love but then the codependent takes it as love the codependent doesn't know any other way of, of formulating this idea of love a codependent has is the product of a dysfunctional home Codependents come into this world loving their parents. So it's their only framework for love is this dysfunctional relationship with others. Their only framework, this is what love is to them. I love other people, I'm there for them, and they abandon me. That is their definition of love. And that's why standing on the precipice of discovering your codependent is huge because it's an opportunity for you to stop abandoning the self and for the first time in your life, understand what real love is all about so you love yourself even though you have bags under your eyes at 4 30 in the morning you love yourself even though you sometimes cry on the way to work you love yourself even though you've got cellulite you love yourself even though you've got spider veins you love yourself even though you're 30 pounds overweight you love yourself no matter what and you learn to protect yourself from people who get off by minimizing you and invalidating you you learn to protect you and that's how you learn all about true love and eventually and i can speak with authority eventually when you love yourself that way 
someone shows up in your reality that can love you the same way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed seeing you and your husband on YouTube in that video. I want to mention Melody Beattie's mm-hmm. book. You mentioned it as one of the first ways you were able to get groundedness in your own freedom. The language of letting go is my daily meditation. I open it to the day. I read it. It's such a great way to stay um, strong in the recovery process. So just for all the listeners out there, Melody Beattie is a wonderful pioneer in the world of codependency. And her book, The Language of Letting Go, is one of my great Bibles. Lisa, I can't believe how quickly the time has gone today. I really admire the work that you do. I'm so thankful that codependency has been your life's work. And I want to let all the listeners know how to find you, how to work with you, how to learn more about having you in their daily inbox. So please give us all the digits that are important to share. Sure. Well, my website is www.lisaaromano.com. And I've actually created a 12-week breakthrough codependency program where I coach and mentor members of this online community who take part in my program for three months. And they become part of a secret Facebook group that I'm very involved with and my team is involved with. And we actually coach people through coming up through the veil of unconsciousness and through the veil. And we help them stay on track as they learn these very valuable and very, very important life skills and teach them how to confront and face codependency head on. Um, so, and we relaunch October 19th. And uh, so that's really exciting. I also have a master class that's all about the law of vibration. That's an eight week coaching class. I have books available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. And what else? I also sell um, meditations through my website and also selfie.com. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. And I hope you'll come back and speak about narcissism. Can we can we book that for the future, please? I am down. Oh, good, good, good. And Absolutely. My favorite spot for Feel Good Naked Radio is Instagram at Feel Good Naked Radio. You can also find Lisa on Instagram and, as she mentioned, Facebook. And Feel Good Naked Radio is on Facebook, too. Lisa, you are wonderful. Thank you. And, again, the tagline is you complete you. Thank you, Lisa Romano. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate this. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin. Feel good.